Welcome to Traveling Culturati, where we explore cultures and share travel news, travel tips, destinations, and travel chats. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Well, hey there, fellow Culturati. Javon Harley here, your host and travel pro for Traveling Culturati. Make sure you head on over to the website, TravelingCulturati.com, and join in on the fun. Follow us on social media and join that travel club. Yes, we're going to Paris this summer. We're going to Croatia. That's July 28th through August 6th. We have a couple of cabins left. So if you want to join us on this luxurious experience from Split to Dubrovnik, Go to the website, TravelingCulturati.com and check it out. It is a celebratory event. We're going to have a fantastic time wine tasting, not diving for oysters, but we're going to pull the oysters straight out of the bay and cooking class. We're going to have such a great time. And of course, the wonderful sights of Croatia along with their cuisine and all on board our private luxury cruiser. Yes, only 17 cabins on board. You don't want to miss that. September, we have Greece going to Athens and to Crete, September 1st through the 9th. And in November, Belize, pause and play. It's time to just hit the pause button on your life and soak up your surroundings and your environments. And Belize is a great place to do that. But of course, we have to have some fun too. So we're going to pause and we're going to play. Again, that's coming up November 8th through the 12th. You can find it all on TravelingCulturati.com. Well, today, healthcare professional Yolanda Como has returned with another installment of Staying Healthy While You Travel. This week, she's bringing us information and tips on common diseases and traveling to developing countries. We'll also have Javon's Travel Minute and, of course, the Culture Report. But as we always do, we've got to start with some travel news. American Airlines pilots have authorized a strike. Yes, but you don't have to panic just yet. The American Airlines pilots said they're prepared to strike. That is, if they don't reach a deal with the management on a new contract. Between April 1st and April 30th, members of the Allied Pilots Association, which represents American Airlines pilots, voted on whether or not to strike. According to the union, 96% of the airline's 15,000 pilots participated in the vote, with more than 99% affirming the possibility of a strike. Allied Pilots Association President Captain Ed Sisher said in a statement, we will strike if necessary to secure the industry leading contract that our pilots have earned and deserve a contract that will position American Airlines for success. We will not be deterred from our goal of an industry-leading contract. Well, will American Airlines pilots strike? They might not actually strike. These authorization votes are fairly routine and are part of contract negotiations at airlines. And so neither the union nor Americans management are signaling that a work stoppage will actually occur. Allied Pilots Association president said, we're all wondering whether this will be another summer of uncertainty for American Airlines. But fortunately, there is an alternative. By embracing the win-win scheduling and the work rule improvements APA has presented at the bargaining table, management can take steps to improve the airline's operational reliability and efficiency. American Airlines managed to seems confident that a strike is extremely unlikely. American Airlines spokesperson Curtis Blessing stated, We remain confident that an agreement for our pilots is within reach and we can finalize quickly. We understand that a strike authorization vote is one of the important ways pilots express their desire to get a deal done and we respect the message of voting results. We remain focused on completing the handful of matters necessary to reach an agreement with our pilots. So in order for the strike to occur, the union's negotiations with American Airlines management, which are currently ongoing, would have to break down. After that, the National Mediation Board will likely step in and help get discussions back on track. Those discussions too would have to be non-fruitful, at which point the two sides could either enter into arbitration or return to the status quo for a 30-day cooling off period. 
During that period, President Biden would be able to create a presidential emergency board to avert a strike. But if his administration doesn't take that step, then and only then could American Airlines pilots stop flying. So I guess that's good news. The Biden administration has announced to end COVID-19 vaccination requirements for federal employees, contractors, international travelers, Head Start educators and CMS certified facilities. So on May 1st, the White House announced that the administration will end the COVID-19 vaccine requirements. That again is including international air travelers at the end of the day on May 11, the same day that the COVID-19 public health emergency ends. So just to kind of roll back on March 13, 2020, the Trump administration declares a nationwide emergency and issues an additional travel ban on non-U.S. citizens traveling from 26 European countries due to COVID-19. On March 14, the CDC issues a no-sale order for all cruise ships, calling all of them to cease activity in all waters that the U.S. holds jurisdiction over. On January 26, 2021, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is expanding the requirement for a negative COVID test to all air travelers entering the United States. And then on June 22nd, CDC announced that the order requiring persons to show a negative COVID-19 test result or documentation of recovery from COVID-19 before boarding a flight to the United States will be rescinded. And that went into effect at 12.01 a.m. on June 12. Then on November 8, 2022, non-citizen, non-immigrant air travelers to the United States will be required to be fully vaccinated and to provide proof of COVID-19 vaccination status prior to boarding an airplane to fly to the United States with only limited exceptions. The updated travel guidelines also included new protocols around testing. So there you have it, where we are today, effective May 11 is the end of the COVID-19 public health emergency and international air travelers being required to provide proof of vaccination. So borders are open, folks. With TSA, they have new bag scanners. Well, they've been rolling them out over some periods, but this means that you won't need to remove liquids or electronics to get through security. This new technology will be rolled out to airports in places like Texas and New York starting this summer. Waiting in an airport security line is enough stress, I know, especially when you have to take all of these things out, and especially when it comes to that x-ray conveyor belt where each person is forced to comb through their carry-on bags and remove large electronics and travel size liquids. But at a dozen U.S. airports, that process is getting very simple. The TSA is spending $1.3 billion to roll out hundreds more of the latest high-tech baggage scanners beginning this summer. The scanners use computed tomography technology to produce a 3D rotatable image of luggage contents, giving security officers a clearer idea of what's inside each bag. It's similar to technology that hospitals use in their CT scanners because the images are so much more detailed than a traditional X-ray. Travelers will need not to remove as many items from their bag. In fact, passengers at checkpoints with CT scanners will be able to leave most things inside their carry-ons, including laptops and other large electronics, their travel size liquids, and most food items. Many larger U.S. airports like New York's JFK, Chicago's O'Hare, and Los Angeles's LAX have already had this equipment for years, but now the TSA is adding the CT scanner at smaller airports around the country. So hopefully rolling this out through the summer will help us with being billed as another summer. I won't say chaos, but another very busy summer. Let's hope it's not like last summer and the summer of chaos. Well, the National Museum of African American History and Culture celebrates 50 years of hip hop with a block party on the National Mall. The Smithsonian's National Museum of African American History and Culture announces the return of its hip hop block party on Saturday, August 12th. So mark your calendars. It's celebrating the culture and music that has been originated and shaped by Black America for decades. This year's celebration will honor 50 years of hip hop's artistry, 
innovation, and global transcendence. The event will take place on the National Mall at the intersection of Madison Drive Northwest and 14th Street. It will feature multi-generational performances by some of hip-hop's most influential DJs, artists, and cultural influencers. Attendees will also be able to participate in interactive activities like graffiti art, breakdancing, and a whole lot more. There will also be a hip-hop-focused tour of the National Museum of African American History and Culture's renowned galleries, revealing the genre's connection to centuries-old improvisation and social consciousness traditions. The hip-hop block party also marks the return of Club Cafe, where attendees can taste a delicious hip-hop-inspired menu. For this year's block party, the museum will install an outdoor panel exhibition highlighting new hip-hop artifacts from the museum's collection. The display will use these dynamic objects and images to explore hip-hop through historical and regional lenses, providing a unique opportunity for audiences to engage with the genre's storytelling beyond its already strong presence at the museum. Additional information will be available on the Hip Hop Block Party website in the coming months, including performance and program schedules, activities, and special guests. All of the National Museum of African American History and Culture's Hip Hop Block Party activities and performances will be free, and tickets will be available on the museum's website in July. So you can follow the discussion on social media using at NMAA. H-C. So again, August 12th, mark your calendars because it's going to be on and popping with the Hip Hop Block Party on the National Mall in Washington, D.C. I'm really excited about that. My hometown. I have to make sure I'm going to be there at that time. Well, there are things that you can do in New York City for free. And that's this spring. Why this is so important? Because New York City is often billed as a very expensive city. And it can be. I've been there, believe me, many times. But a photo magazine written by Anna Marie Glavin has put together a list of completely free things you can do in New York City this spring. You can schedule a date night at the Met. Live music, free drinks, and light snacks are available at the Met on Friday and Saturday nights. This ongoing weekend series is dubbed Date Night by the museum because visitors get to know the artwork they're surrounded by more intimately. New York City is packed with tiny bookshops that are easy to miss. So if weekends spent flipping through pages old and new seem like heaven, the recommendation is a self-guided book crawl. Stargaze at the Intrepid Museum. There's free admission Friday nights. And the better news is it provides a rotation of free programming, including flight deck telescope viewing on the rooftop. You can also ditch Diagon Alley in favor of a Harry Potter New York. It's a two-story flagship, but it also serves as an interactive exhibit that you can walk through without spending a dime. There's an insider tip that says that you can splurge by checking out the Butterbeer Bar where you can get a cup of Butterbeer and a souvenir glass for only $12. Well, that's all I've got for travel news. And when I come back, healthcare professional Yolanda Como will join me with information and tips on common diseases and traveling to developing countries. This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well-informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Welcome back to the Traveling Culturati. I'm your host and travel pro, Javon Harley. Make sure you head on over to the website, TravelingCulturati.com. And while you're there, don't forget to join the Travel Club. I know you want to come with us to Croatia to celebrate Advantage International's 25th anniversary, July 28th through August 6th. We only have three cabins left and there's only 17 cabins on board. So it's a private yacht that we have chartered. And we're going to go from Split to Dubrovnik with a whole lot of things we're going to do in between cooking classes, wine tasting, and we're going to party on board. You know, we're going to do that. I think I'm going to have some theme nights. So get prepared for that, too. (laughs) Also, we have Greece coming up September 1st through the 9th. And we're putting together our 2024 travel calendar. 
But to be the first to know when we're on the go, make sure you sign up for the Travel Club. Well, today, healthcare professional Yolanda Como is back with another installment of Staying Healthy While You Travel. And this installment, talking about common health problems or illnesses or diseases associated with travel in developing countries. Because as always, we want to make sure that you can travel the globe, do so safely, and keep your health in mind. Hello, Yolanda, and welcome to Traveling Culturati. Oh, thanks, Javon. Glad to be back to discuss something that's extremely important, especially for travelers. Traveling is about to be super, super busy. The spring, the summer, they're like really giving us a heads up about a busy travel season. They certainly are. They've called it vengeance travel. And I can tell you that travel is up a thousand percent. We've already surpassed 2019 numbers, which are what we're calling the pre-pandemic numbers. And I've been flying myself. I'm in D.C. right now and just coming to D.C. The airport's already packed. So if spring is any indication of summer, it's going to be busy in the airport. So we want to get prepared for that. And then also, you know, we don't want to limit ourselves. We just want to make sure we have information when we travel and that we can see the world. And yes, there are some countries that have some common illnesses, some that are just travel related, no matter where you go. And so I'm glad that you brought this topic up. So what's first on our list? What kind of travel or common health problem do we have to deal with when we travel? Well, first on our list is the infamous traveler's diarrhea. It is by far the most common risk of contracting an illness for international travelers or travelers abroad, up to 80% based on the destination that you're going to. It occurs within 10 days of your traveling. It's usually in areas of poor public hygiene or you're not practicing good hygiene when you're traveling because you're so on the run. And it is the most common illness for travelers. I could really imagine. And that one has no boundary as far as what country you're visiting. It's not more prevalent or less in one country than another. And sometimes it could just be that some people have more sensitive stomachs than others, and Mm -hmm. that could trigger it as well. Let's talk about some of those high-risk destinations. What are they? Areas like Mexico, the Middle East, Africa, South America is usually caused by drinking water or eating foods that have bacteria, viruses, or parasites. And if there's poor hygiene or poor sanitation conditions and purified water in those areas, how foods are prepared or water are given to you, then you may or probably can contract traveler's diarrhea. Mm-hmm. So what about the prevention? What can we do to prepare ourselves? So you can get a prescription prior to leaving of ciprofloxacin, which is pretty common, or levofloxacin. You have your doctor uh, write your script before going. I think you can get probably three to five pills and just have those ready just in case. I mean, I usually do. I usually get a prescription for them. I think I get about three pills to take with me. Be sure. Also, remember to practice regular hand washing. Just practice good hand hygiene while you're traveling. And also, be careful of consuming certain foods. I mean, if you're one of those venturous people and you see the cart on the street, see the vendor carts on the street food, you may want to reconsider that and try to eat within the restaurants and hotels that's recommended for you. Yeah, when you talk about washing your hands, it's so important because when you're out and about, you're touching things. And then if you're going to a restaurant or you're sitting down to eat and now you're handling your food, sometimes we're handling our food with our hands. Or we're licking our fingers because it's that good. <laughs> you know. So it's best to just start with proper hygiene. Make that hygiene. beeline to the bathroom or facility and wash your hands or use hand sanitizer. Now, what about yeah, but, treatment? Yeah, I did want to say try and find soap and water for hand hygiene in cases when you're sitting down to have your meals. But a sanitizer is great if that's all you have. But preferably, you should try and look for soap and water. Over-the-counter anti-diarrhea medication is very, very helpful. So you want to take along some Imodium with you just in case you feel that coming on and and take it as prescribed. It is over the counter and it works very well. 
Drink plenty of fluids. Stay hydrated. You want to replenish your body because they're losing a lot of nutrients and electrolytes. So if you're drinking water to hydrate yourself, think about getting fluids that has electrolytes in them. Things like Gatorade, PD lights will help you feel a little better as well. Very, very important, especially, you know, if you're dealing or suffering with something. And a lot of times we try to stay away from drinking extra fluids because we don't want to have to immediately (laughs) run to the facility, but it's still important at the same time to stay hydrated. You have here E. coli diarrhea. We're still talking about diarrhea, but caused by something else. Not really caused by something else, but it's seen in a different population of people, of travelers, usually children. E. coli diarrhea, it is traveler's diarrhea, but cholera and intratoxic diarrhea is seen in large population of children where they would have like profuse watery diarrhea, bad abdominal cramps and fevers and nausea. But you see it children in poor countries where water is handled poorly, it's not sanitized properly, purified. And like I said, it's usually seen in the, the younger population. Now you mentioned cholera as well. Some of these illnesses or diseases or common issues may not be so common to us. So we really have to prepare and educate ourselves prior to going to some destinations. So what about cholera that you mentioned? What are we talking about with cholera and where and how do we need to be cautious of it? Cholera is similar to the endotoxin diarrhea and it is same. I don't know, you probably hear it a lot. You know, you hear about outbreaks in Haiti and it's usually cholera or India. Well, that's when the water supply is getting mixed in with the sewage. Mm. A lot of the cooking, yeah, a lot. Out of the cooking and preparedness of food is prepared right there on the street. The plumbing system is not great. And yeah, it could happen. The sewage and food preparation and water, all of that streaming together and you're there, you're preparing the food and you're not washing your hands properly. If you can only imagine the sanitizing of anything is not working very well in an environment if you can imagine when food is being prepared right there on the street, like right. on the, literally on the ground. But, so but all uh, that's getting mixed in and it's getting contaminated. I see. So would the prevention and treatment of that be the same or different than with traveler's diarrhea? Well, it would be the same. You just want to avoid eating food that's not prepared properly what you're generally used to seeing or having your food prepared. That's where it's contaminated with bacteria. It's not washed well. And the person's preparing isn't washing their hands with soap and water. Also, in areas like that, and you're traveling to areas like that, you might have heard of tablets for the water, the Mm -hmm. drinking water, because the water system is in filtering toxins and bacteria and all that properly. So you may want to carry water tablets with you if you're going to be drinking and using water like to brush your teeth and various things like that. But in terms of consuming food and drinks, you probably should be doing that through hotels or recommended restaurants in the vicinity of your destination. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up brushing your teeth, though. Actually, anywhere you travel, I always recommend to stay with bottled water because of different water treatment systems. But Mm -hmm. should you be brushing your teeth with bottled water and making sure you have enough of it at the hotel to do so? Yes, definitely. Uh, Always use bottled water for brushing your teeth. And as I, I said, if you have the tablets for water, you can use those to treat the water before brushing your teeth and or drinking. Absolutely. And that goes for cleaning your toothbrush as well. You know, how we rinse it under the faucet. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So you have to just kind of really be aware of that. What about malaria? Because I've traveled to many destinations, some of which that say there's that recommendation or that warning for possibility of malaria. What are we talking about when we say malaria and where is it found? Well, malaria is a serious illness that can be fatal if it's not diagnosed quickly. It is found in sub-Saharan African countries and is transmitted by mosquitoes carrying the malaria virus. So usually the disease is found in many of the developing countries where young children and pregnant women and immunosuppressed groups as travelers, they are more susceptible 
to this and is contracted through mosquitoes. Oh, okay. They say that the most dangerous animal, and I guess we can call it insect an animal, is the mosquito. That more people die because of a mosquito bite than an attack from a lion or a hippo, for example, yeah. which we always think about the latter. So what can we do for prevention? You can bring along mosquito repellent with DEET and try not to keep your skin exposed. If it's an area where you know there's a lot of mosquitoes. I mean, you go in during the time of the year where mosquitoes are going to be prevalent. You want to protect yourself by covering up. If it's really warm, you don't want to cover up too much. But think of clothing where it will cool you off while you are in those areas. Sleep in a bed that's draped with a mosquito net and make sure you're in the area where there's screens in the windows and in the doors. You know, just to keep the mosquitoes out. Yeah. And a lot of Um, places that have issues will have netting available for you in your room. Okay. Wear long pants and or socks. Try not to wear sandals. I mean, because mosquitoes can get to your feet, your toes, and all you probably want to do is scratch and itch. And the more you scratch, you can cause an infection, too, if you're scratching that mosquito bite and you can have skin breakage as well. So just be very, very careful. But always try to use some mosquito repellent for your skin. Is there a prevention medication that you can take in advance of your trip? So your doctor, they can prescribe you, if you see a physician prior to going on your trip and you know you're going to an area where malaria does exist, they can prescribe you medication for treatment while you're traveling, just before you leave. And they would prescribe it and give you instructions how to take it while you are at the destination. Okay. Hopefully, you know, you don't have to, but in the event that you do, let's talk about that treatment. What kind of treatment is available? Because that's a pretty severe, can be, if you contract malaria. There's several lists of antibiotics and it's up to your physician, which one would be that they personally would recommend for you and what would be best for you in terms. So I think they look at the destination that you're going to and Also, just to know the weather and how warm it would be and how prevalent the mosquitoes would be out during your trip. According to that, the doctor would make their mind up on uh, exactly which particular medication they will prescribe for you. Right. And that's for prevention. But what happens if you need treatment? What kind of treatment are we talking about? Well, it's the same. There's there's a list. Yeah, there's a list of medications to determine how to treat and how to prevent during the travel. So it's up to the physician which one, because there's several, there's probably about eight particular medications they have to treat, to use for prevention as well. Mm-hmm. So that your doctor would be able to tell you which one would be best for you at that time. What's another example of a health problem issue or disease that we should worry about? So with traveling, hepatitis is another common and major infection that's very common for travelers that they should be aware of. Specifically, there's hepatitis A, B, and C. A is, to categorize it, it's similar to like food poisoning. Hmm. So it's another gastrointestinal infection of the gut. So you have to be careful of developing food poisoning and getting sick while you're traveling. And usually it's because of poor sanitary conditions and hygienic practices in that country and how they're preparing your meals. I mean, just like, for instance, you see it here in the United States, people who contract food poisoning, a lot of times it is another like type of hepatitis A. And it's just basically how people are handling your food and how you are handling your food. Are you washing your hands? Is that individual, you know, washing their hands when they go into the bathroom and they come back and make your burger? So it's very similar. So hepatitis A, you can see it as a food poisoning. And it is seen a lot of times in African countries, Middle Eastern and South America. And yeah, United States as well. But if you're traveling, it's kind of prevalent in those areas. Hepatitis B virus usually is transmitted from mother to child. And a lot of times the child will have that. You'll see it like in the whole family, like who's been affected. And it is transmitted sexually and also through dirty needles. Mm. 
So if you're a user of needles in terms of drug use or however, but if there's dirty needles everywhere, dirty needles on the street, and you're using them for yourself, you know, you guys are changing needles to do drugs or somebody having unprotected sex, that is, with someone who is or was using dirty needles or drug user, they can transmit that to you. And of course, you're going to transmit that to your child. And there's a large number of contractions in Asian countries with this hepatitis B. It's a mother-to-child transmission. Now, hepatitis C, this is very common. It's an inflammation of the liver caused by the hepatitis C virus. Seen in developing countries, uh, once again, drug injections. Someone who's using drugs and it could destroy the liver and You can see it in countries like Vietnam and also a large number of infections in Egypt as well. Now, is there prevention? And does that prevention vary based on the type of hepatitis? Yes. All of the hepatitis types, A, B, and C, there's a vaccination for them all. Okay. And for hepatitis A, not only is there a vaccination for all of them, make sure you're washing your hands. Okay, the risk would be a lot low, especially for hep A, since we know that it is contracted through food preparedness and you're consuming food that wasn't prepared properly. You may want to make sure there's proper hand washing, proper preparedness of your food. Help B, the prevention is don't share your needles and try to use barrier sources if you are having sexual activities with someone that's probably infected and get vaccinated, please. And for hepatitis C, you want to avoid behaviors like spreading disease, such as not using needles that are not clean and try to avoid dirty needles. That's really the main for hep C, contracting hep C is through dirty needles and usually from someone who's using drugs. So you want to get tested for all of them. So you have a baseline that you're positive or negative with the virus. Is it treatable? If contracted, or is it something that you then just manage? You treat with, there is treatment, but only to manage after you've contracted it. Well, hepatitis B, there is an antiviral drug medication, as well as with hepatitis C. And the medication can be taken 8 to 10 weeks or even longer, depending how bad your symptoms are and where you are in that stage of the virus. Hepatitis A, you can, not only if you get the vaccine, you also get boosters and that would be the treatment for it. You can get a booster for it and check liver enzymes every six months and see if there's any damage to your liver with hepatitis A. And once again, it's just a bad case of food poisoning with hepatitis A. Earlier, you were telling me about typhoid, and I noticed that probably as of late, that's been on the rise, and not just in other areas or developing countries, but in the United States as well. What are those symptoms? What do we need to be cautious of? With typhoid, mm-hmm. once again, typhoid is just like the others, consuming unsanitizing food and drinking water. Once I was telling you about the water tablets, in this case, the water tablets will help purify your drinking water of the bacteria that the water is contaminated with because you can't develop E. coli, which is the salmonella and cholera. And E. coli is the gut infection that causes typhoid. So if you can prevent being in areas where they're preparing your food unsanitizing, like the water that you're drinking isn't clean, then that would be the prevention. Try to avoid those areas. Once again, I really believe street vendors in countries that you're not familiar with, I know the food smells wonderful on the street, but I would try to avoid the street vendors and eat in restaurants and hotels in which you're staying at your destinations. Now, let's jump ahead to Legionella. Oh, yeah, Legionella. Well, it's a serious disease. Uh, it's Legionary bacteria is caused by a type of pneumonia, and you can get a really bad lung infection. And unfortunately, it has debilitating problems for the individual. I mean, long existing problems. And it's very hard to detect. 
you hear people talking about it. They're not sure. They have fog brain. The water system can get contaminated, dirty shower heads and sink faucets and hot tubs. Yeah, hot tubs, if they're not cleaned properly and cleaned regularly, they can develop this nasty bacteria of legionnaires where warm water, this organism likes to grow in and you're sitting in it and you can develop this disease. So it's absorbed so through the skin? That. Well, you're aspirating the air of the room and of the hot tub. That's how they're developing it water heaters and tanks, all of the fumes from these things that exist is how you are developing. You can inhale it. You can inhale the fumes from dirty air conditionings that's not filtered properly. That's how a lot of complaints of people developing the Legionnaires from. And the dirty water that they use to filter the devices is what they're inhaling into their lungs like poor plumbing and hot tub fumes. And it's always involved with a lot of fumes, like dirty germs and stuff that, that carries this legionnaire virus. Okay, so it's, it's kind of breathing it's a in, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's breathing in and it destroys the lung tissue. And also people have found to, I mean, really, really sick. I mean, weakness and fog brain. And some people feel like they're paralyzed. And it takes a long time to be detected because you know they're treating everything else thinking it's something else and finally th this is the last resort in many cases they test them for legionnaires and sure enough that's what they have what about menococcal disease what should we look for and what parts of the world should we take precaution when visiting menococcal pneumonia is basically an infection in the spinal cord region where the spinal cord somehow just becomes infected and it can be debilitating. It's usually found in children, small children or teens or even adolescents. And they can have a brain infection as well. That's how bad it can become. And it can be detrimental. So detecting it and finding that that is it and treating it properly, immediately the person can recover. So the treatment is usually found in areas where not just in developing countries, but more so there, but also here in the United States. We do see cases, not a heavy bulk of cases, as you would see in other countries, but it does exist. And definitely they'll bring them in and they start immediately hydrating them and giving them fluids to prevent dehydration, some oxygen to make them feel better for breathing, and also steroids, because usually... What happens is the spinal cord becomes inflamed, swollen. It can cause some pain. You hear patients saying that they have bad headaches. They also could have like brain fog and not cognizantly with you if you're asking them questions to see if they're appropriate in their answers. That's because they have a bad infection in their spine. Well, one thing yeah, I really so, yeah. want to talk about, Yolanda, is yellow fever, because that's one, you know, for example, that I've had to advise people of in going to certain destinations that it's a requirement. So let's talk about yellow fever. Yeah. So yellow fever is a virus. It's transmitted by mosquitoes from different habitats in the sub-Sahara Africa countries. And it's called yellow fever because of the jaundice that it can cause. You can see your skin turning yellow. But for the prevention and the treatment of it, you should see your doctor for a vaccine if you're going to be traveling to those areas that's prevalent with yellow fever. So that some countries will require that you show that you have been vaccinated. And if you have been to a country where if you haven't been vaccinated and there is a country that you've been to and yellow fever is pretty prevalent, they would like to know what country did you just come from. You're probably going to have to get vaccinated on the scene and tested for it as well. Also, you want to prevent yourself from getting mosquito bites. You want to just wear long sleeve shirts, maybe take some insect repellent and use that. Definitely get vaccinated, wear your socks and long pants, sleep with mosquito netting around your bedding and your tents, and definitely get vaccinated and show it. Okay, yeah. have proof of um, vaccination. Yeah, that yellow card. Although I wonder if they're going to change the way we show our vaccination since COVID-19. It used to be you carry the yellow card and all of your vaccinations were stamped in there. But COVID was a little different with technology. I'm hoping there's another way we can kind of have our information stored so that we can present it when we're traveling. 
We're just about out of time, but great advice. Thank you so much for joining us again with another installment of Staying Healthy While You Travel. It's so, so, so important. And I think we need to think about that when we're even staying at home and traveling within the United States as well, just to be aware of some of these things, especially when we're talking about foodborne illnesses and respiratory as well. So again, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, sure. Thank you, Javon. When I come back, I'll have the culture report. This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well-informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Welcome back to the Traveling Culturati. I'm your host and travel pro, Javon Harley. Make sure you head on over to the website, TravelingCulturati.com. And while you're there, don't forget to join the Travel Club because we go to some fantastic places and follow us on social media. Culture is forever changing and reflecting what's happening in the society and with its people. It can be born of the arts, music, food, and sometimes politics and strife. This is the Culture Report. And what better culture to talk about than festivals. I love it when life is just one big festivity. (laughs) (laughs) Joining me today is Bobby Manino. She's a fifth generation New Orlean and has spent her 50 plus year career working in the New Orleans tourism industry and is currently the public relations director for experienceneworleans.com and Mardi Gras New Orleans.com. Well, hello, Bobby, and welcome to Traveling Culturati. Well, hello, Javon. I'm so happy to be speaking with you and yes. telling you about our festivals. It is festival season, and I'm super excited about it every spring and summer. Whether you are staying at home and doing something locally or you're traveling to some fantastic place like New Orleans. So, Let's talk about New Orleans and preparing for its festival season. Absolutely. Well, to kick it off, it started last weekend for the annual French Quarter Festival, which was celebrating its 40th anniversary. And in my younger days, I was very involved with that particular event, even to the point of picking up money from the beverage booths and making sure that there was I'm embarrassed to say this, but even to make sure that there was enough toilet paper in the porta potties. So, I mean, I was very, very involved in the French Quarter Festival because my best friend was the executive director of the event. So, anything to help her. But this is such a popular event. We had over 900,000 people come this past weekend. Wow. And it's a free event. It generally happens the second weekend of April. But this past year, we never wanted to also fall on Easter Sunday. So if it falls on Easter Sunday, that second weekend, then we go to the third weekend. The entire French Quarter basically is closed to car traffic. And it's pedestrian traffic everywhere in the entire 10 square blocks of the French Quarter and along the riverfront of the Mississippi. And there's at least a dozen big stages All the music is free. The festival's paid for by sponsors, but also the beverage sales and soft drinks and beer and et cetera. And it's just an amazing event. And honestly, the best part about it is it showcases local music. It's a place for local musicians to be featured and really shine. And it's just a great, great event. Like I said, it's been 40 years and it's still growing and it's still amazing. Well, one of the things that I love about New Orleans is that no matter when I come, it always seems to have a festival happening, whether it's Zydeco or Tomato Festival. And I love the real local ones that really introduce you to some of the local culture of New Orleans. Um, Absolutely. And music and food is the two biggest things, you know, that brings everyone together. So we're actually right now preparing for the next two weekends to be for the annual New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival, which is absolutely internationally known. And they bring major, major acts. It's more than just jazz. 
It's held in the central part of our city, which is at the New Orleans Fairgrounds, where they have racehorsing going on part of the year. Well, that's the grounds where the New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival always takes place. And it's Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday of two weekends. And every single day, there's a different schedule of entertainment and great food at food vendors. And they have local artists come and do a lot of crafty things and sell a lot of their goods. And then there's obviously a poster every year that everybody can't wait to get for their collection. And it's just an amazing event. People come year after year. And we're going to make sure everybody has the websites so that they can get all of the details, no matter which festival we talk about. But the the main thing is really that there are so many festivals in New Orleans that start happening in the spring and go all the way through the summer. Do you have an idea of how many festivals there are for this period and your festival season? Well, honestly and truly, I got a mailer just yesterday that there's 25 right here I'm looking at. And I don't think they include everything on this list. It's a lot. I mean, basically, if it's something we like to eat, there's a festival with its name on it. (laughs) Yeah, I tell you, uh, the few times that I've come to New Orleans, and I didn't know in advance of coming there, but there was a festival, like one year, there was the Tomato Festival uh, that I truly enjoyed. That's, That's the Creole Tomato Festival, and it takes place in the French Quarter at the French Market. And it's a fabulous event. And of course, you have not eaten a tomato if it's not a Creole tomato. It's the best. It is the best. Yes, I discovered so many wonderful things because tomato is a big base of New Orleans food. So it's great to participate in the festival. Absolutely. It's one of my favorites, honestly. And again, it's because it is in the French market, which is unique to begin with. And you just enjoy the food, the music. And you can also stroll around the French market while you're at it. It's really great. Yeah. And I just love that there's so many local ones. What are some of the smaller local ones before we get to the big ones that we're all anticipating? First of all, let me just back up one second on the French Quarter Festival weekend. There's also a strawberry festival that takes place in a nearby area. I mean, it's about a 45 minute drive, but it's really popular as well. And that's the Ponchatoula Strawberry Festival. It takes place the same weekend as French Quarter Fest. And then coming up in May, we have the Crawfish Festival. And if you haven't had crawfish, it's really good. And then we have an event called the Bayou Boogaloo. And that takes place in Central City, near City Park. And that is another great event of food, music, and fun things to do. And if the setting is right on Bayou St. John, and so it's called the Bayou Boogaloo. Very fun. That's the 19th through the 21st this year. And then there's this annual event that takes place around Memorial Day weekend, the Greek Festival. And that is an amazing event that takes place at a Greek church out towards the lakefront area. And you can taste all this amazing Greek food. And they have Greek music, and all sorts of activities for kids and older people. And you can even dress, I guess it's called a toga, and other types of costumes to wear. And there's dancing going on. It's just really a fun event. Then we go to something a little bit more sophisticated. That's called the New Orleans Wine and Food Experience. But it is a festival because it's a week-long festival of pairing wines with the food that you're going to eat. And the weekend of 9 through 11 is our version of the New Orleans Pride Fest. And then the Creole Tomato Festival follows right after that. That's the 10th through the 11th. Then there's the Cajun Zydeco Festival, which takes place at Armstrong Park. You know, that's Louis Armstrong Park, right down adjacent to the French Quarter. Then we have the Juneteenth Festival. That's obviously on June 19th. Then we're going to get into the Essence Festival. Yes, Absolutely. Let's talk about the Essence Fest because that is a huge city event, is it not? Oh, it has been. And it's been great for mutually beneficial. I think it's been great for Essence Festival to call New Orleans home here. And also it's amazing for the city, of course. It's generally tied with the July 4th weekend, even though this year the festival itself is the first through the third. But 
during that event, you have great seminars and great people you want to hear speak and also lots of vendors that you want to go get and get to know and meet. That's all at the convention center along the riverfront. And then just a few blocks away at the Caesars Superdome, that's where the big concerts are. And they always have just an amazing, amazing lineup of talent and the hotels sell out. So it's one of those things you really want to get your rooms booked as soon as possible. Yes. Well, I do know that the Essence Fest is an annual event that everyone is anxiously waiting for. And I understand that they do have a great lineup that's coming this year. But Fourth of July, that weekend is not the end of your festival season. What else is coming up after that? You know, Fourth of July itself, I'm personally involved with that event. It's the annual go forth on the river. And basically, it all is to get people out there for a huge riverfront fireworks show. But during the day, there's a festival that goes on along the river at the Crescent Park. And they call it the Fourth Fest. There's food and music, and then it all culminates with the nine o'clock fireworks show. But then on the 14th, we are a French city, so we celebrate Bastille Day. It's called Bastille Day Fete. And then on July 15th, we have the annual running of the bulls, where the sea becomes the river of red, because everybody's wearing white and red, I should say. They're running through the French Quarter, and you actually have girls on roller derby kind of skates, and that's the Bulls. Unfortunately, we're running out of time, but I want to make sure that everyone has the websites for all of the city events and festivals that occur from spring through summer, and then also the Mardi Gras festival as well. So what is the website for general festival and experiencing New Orleans? It's experienceneworleans.com. And what about for Mardi Gras? And Mardi Gras New Orleans. And that's where you can get your schedule uh, of parades. And if you want to book seats in a grandstand or if you want to find out where you might be able to get on a balcony party on Bourbon Street or all sorts of information. Basically, when you write the site, it comes to me and I'm going to answer it. Fantastic. Well, again, thank you so much for joining me today. Again, I'm talking to Bobby Menino, who is the public relations director for experienceneworleans.com. So there you have your website and MardiGrasNewOrleans.com where you can get all of your festival information. And believe me, every weekend, almost every day, there's a festival in New Orleans that's already started in April and going all the way through the summer. And you don't want to miss out. Again, Bobby, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, you're welcome, Javon. Have a great day. Ladies and gentlemen. This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well-informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Ladies and gentlemen.